0: In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. If I have any concern on Palm Sunday, um, it's that our imaginations aren't sufficient enough to hold the story of Jesus' suffering. I wonder if we can really know what it was like to be heralded one moment and then beaten the next. Maybe there are some who Can But I would guess that most of us haven't experienced such type of violent trauma. Wonder is all that we have here with this part of Jesus' life. When I try to put myself in Jesus' shoes, when I try to imagine what it must have been like for him, I think of the loneliness that he must have felt. All of his disciples left him. Once he is betrayed and arrested, they take off. The word Matthew uses is fled. They fled from Jesus. Of course, their lives were also in danger, but they who had spent so many long, formative days and nights with him fled. Jesus had just spent the evening with them, sharing in the Passover meal, serving them, teaching them, warning them. He had asked Peter, James, and John to stay up with him during the night and pray with him, which they failed to do. He wanted the small comfort that their presence provided as he felt troubled and sorrowful down to the core of his soul. We can so often talk about the the awful betrayal by Judas that we can forget this heartbreaking abandonment by the disciples For all of the celebration made over him as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, the waving of palms, the shouts of Hosanna, the earnest declarations of undying loyalty, Peter and his disciples, along with him, declared to Jesus at the Last Supper, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. For all of those things, for all of the things that he had done before their very eyes, they still left him and fled. And it's interesting that the people who seem to see Jesus most clearly in these lonely hours weren't disciples at all. Pilate's wife and a centurion along with those under his command. That we know of, Pilate's wife hadn't even encountered Jesus in person. She has a dream about. Forceful enough to cause her to send a message to her husband, interrupting him while he's on the judgment seat. A message so urgent, it couldn't wait for his availability. And then what she says is more command than request. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. And so we're, we're left to wonder why this aristocratic Roman woman should have anything to do with this Galilean peasant who she had only dreamed of. What, what had she dreamed? How did she know that Jesus was more? And then at Jesus' death... It was a centurion along with those under his command, these these Roman soldiers tasked to watch and to make sure that Jesus died, who declared together, truly, this was the Son of God. They saw him die. And yet, powerfully enough, Matthew tells us that at the moment of his death was an earthquake and the, the graves were opened and many of the faithfully departed came to life. And he says that after Jesus left his own tomb, many of the dead from those other tombs left theirs and appeared in Jerusalem. So let's take a time out there. Because this is such an amazing detail. And I'll, I'll appeal to some of you scholars um, to correct me if I'm off base here, but the way that Matthew has written this, it would seem that at the moment of Jesus' death, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. The earth shook, the rocks were split, tombs opened, presumably from the earthquake, and the dead inside of the tombs came to life. But it wasn't until after Jesus left the tomb that they left their tombs. And if I'm reading that correctly, there's just so much that can be said about that, but I'll have to give it my best restraint. My point right now being, can you imagine the sight? So we generally know what the centurion and those under his command saw was amazing. But I wonder who they saw. I wonder what they heard the sounds of shock and joy ringing across Jerusalem. I wonder how it felt to experience it all. What did they see exactly? What was it that Pilate's wife saw in her dream? And what did these Roman soldiers see that was just so beyond the scope of reality that this man arrested, beaten, and hanging on the cross could be more than he appeared? So throughout his his ministry, some of the people who seem to see Jesus most clearly are the ones on the outskirts, the ones on the margins of, of his circle. We could talk about the woman at the well, the hemorrhaging woman, the man at the pools of Bethesda, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, but perhaps even more apparent here in these hours, betrayed by Judas, abandoned by the others, we see powerful revelation come from an aristocratic Roman woman and Roman soldiers trained and experienced in execution. Rome, the occupying oppressor and enemy of the Jews, The, the Jewish people actually supposed that a Messiah would come and with military force overthrow Rome. But this Messiah... This Galilean peasant from nowhere town Nazareth comes, and here's what they get. Humility, submission, and death. The Apostle Paul, about 15 to 20 years or so after these things happened, he wrote about this, saying, Though he was in the form God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Humility, submission, and death. And he turned the world upside down. Expectations completely disrupted. And his words that he had once directed at the Pharisees rings out loudly, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. And the challenge for us is in seeing him in ways perhaps that we least expect him, and also seeing him for who he really is. Maybe for some of us today at the beginning of this holy week, the prayer that God desires from us is for sight. I see, Lord, help my blindness. Maybe it's to relinquish this vice grit that that we may have on exactly what Jesus is doing, where he's moving, how he's working, to remember that our desires and cares and concerns are known by him, but they don't direct him. They don't command him. He isn't chained to our definitions of goodness or freedom or mercy or justice or love. He defines them. And rather than allowing ourselves to be caught up in our definitions and our expectations, addicted to our definitions and our expectations, I would even say codependent upon our definitions and our expectations, we die to them. We take up our cross and we follow Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If there's any encouragement that we might take, perhaps it's to hold this life with open hands and let God define our lives for us, to give us his sight, to give us His vision. Friends, there's there's so much to take joy in in this world, but as we've been reminded this past week, it's still a world in which children are slaughtered. It's still a world in which poverty infects families for generations. War ravages entire people groups. Hunger abounds even in our own neighborhoods. Abuse deepens in dark and sinister ways. A world in which hurting people hurt people, and the cycle continues over and over. And in these things, we, we so often assume what we should do in response. Who we should champion, who we should support, how we should think and feel. But in our list of shoulds, are we seeing Jesus clearly, or are we merely assuming holding on to expectations He hasn't given us, creating a Savior in our own image. This work of taking up our cross with Christ, it isn't when we feel like it or when Jesus seems most agreeable and applicable. It's in every moment. It's saying, let me die with you, Lord Jesus. I don't know what you're doing, but let me die with you, Lord Jesus. I don't always understand why you chose to go into that city to be betrayed, mocked, tortured, and slaughtered, but let me die with you, Lord Jesus. I don't know why the awful things in this world seem to continue to happen unchallenged, but let me die with you, Lord Jesus, because I know that you make a fool of death. As I struggle and as I succeed and fail in in life, in parenting, in marriage, in friendship, in in my job, let me die with you, Lord Jesus. As I feel the sting of someone else's words to me, let me die with you, Lord Jesus. As I'm stirred up to fear or worry, anxiety, temptation, shame, let me die with you, Lord Jesus, because I want to walk out of the grave with you. Whether you're an aristocratic Roman woman, or a soldier in command, whether you've been following Jesus for five decades or five minutes, whether you're a priest or you're still just trying to figure out where Genesis is in the Bible, you can see Jesus. There is nothing standing in the way that he can't overcome. But if you're going to follow him, you have to follow him to the cross. Let me die with you, Lord Jesus, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.